Well, today, my guest on the Who Is God podcast is none other than Kurt Sandquist. Um, I've known Kurt for, boy, about eight years, seven, eight years now, um, and, uh, and been instrumental. I know uh, you've had a chance to watch me grow, and I've had a chance to watch and get to know you quite a bit. Um, God's been pretty central in all of that, and so he's shown up. Um, you know a lot of my story, uh, at least my recent story, because you've, you've walked with me through it. Um, you've got a lot of story that allowed you to relate to what I was going through and have gone through and, and still am at times. Um, but the listeners don't know your story. Um, what, uh, let's start with a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, I've got the, uh, the story plot diagram here behind us, you know, characters, setting, situation, conflict. There's usually a stress point that causes change. Looks Often. complicated. <laughs> it is a little bit. We, we wrestle with the battle, uh, and then whatever that battle is, we come to resolution. Yeah. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can start uh, at the very beginning, if you would like, mm -hmm. where I was always in Nebraska, uh, born in a little small town to uh, Swedish parents, both sides, and... Uh, and grew up until I was 12 in uh, Oakland, Nebraska, and then parents moved to Lincoln. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a, a carpenter. And I grew up in Lincoln, and uh, we were typical churchgoers, I guess mm -hmm. you would say, um, and part of a church in Oakland quite a bit, as well as in Lincoln. Um, there were some things that happened in my life, though, that uh, came out of that time. Uh, we moved in 1970, and that was a protest era coming out of the 60s and into the 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got to Lincoln, I think my parents were operating on a mindset of Life is safe, small town, everything is fine. And I was the youngest of four children, so I suppose there was some tiredness by that point in their journey of parenting and looking forward to some of the things they were doing. So I kind of um, had a free reign of what to do. Right. When you're a kid and you don't have a lot of supervision, you can get in trouble. Um, I... By nature, I've always been probably a rebel, or at least strong-willed, and like to push boundaries, like to test limits. Um, and when I, uh, where I'm at today, and what I'm doing today, uh, would probably shock and surprise most of the people that knew me as I was growing up, because I think at times they felt like. I was either going to run away with the circus or go to prison or someplace goofy like that. But, uh, yeah, it's been and, a journey. And you did end up in prison at some point? Well. Not not like expected, <laughs> but we'll get to that did, part of the story later. Yeah, I did about 10 years on the daily installment plan. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. No. So so you talk a little bit about being a church-going family. Um, what What was that like? Was that... Was it just a commitment? Was it just a, this is what we do, or was there more to it? 
Uh, I think my parents were generally sincere with what they knew. Um, I don't think the denomination of the church we were in was real strong on biblical teaching. Tradition, yes, but teaching, probably not so much. So it was just a lot of going to church as a kid, learning the stories in Sunday school and VBS and a, a lesson behind them, but really not a depth of truth and understanding. And so I'm thankful for my parents in terms of the fact that they were regularly at church when the doors were open. So there was a background of uh, God is there. Um, I, I would say and describe my childhood years or concepts of God were that I knew I was encouraged to trust him, but I was probably more fearful of him. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the more powerful, like if I thought about faith, then it would have been, I don't want to go to hell. How do I not go, uh, not go there? Right, right. So I, I talk a lot about in the, in the podcast, there's three ways to get to know someone. And I use a president as an example. Uh, one is we can, we can uh, read what other people uh, have written about him or, or say about him. Um, we can, uh, I'm, I'm having a, a little, a little uh, senior moment here. You know, we can read it, we can hear about it, um, or, you know, we can interview people, I guess, you know, or we can directly meet the president and spend time with them. Right. Um, at this point in time, it sounds like you had a lot of the reading about him, being told about him, but had you encountered God yet? I think so, at least in a bargaining sense, you know, because as you encounter God, it's give me this, please, I'll do this for you, please, that sort of thing. Um, but, I, you know, at camp, uh, camp, youth camps and such, I, that was all the way through school. Uh, there's some emotional moments um, uh, where you're talking to God, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, but without real knowledge of who he is, what he's like, what his attributes are, what he calls himself, what he says he is like. It was more, uh, there's a God out there. Right. I don't quite understand what that means, but I know he's there. So I grew up with a respect for the Bible. I didn't know, you know, a lot about what the Bible said about itself even. I just knew, well, that's an important book. Right. Um, so, yeah, I um, I think uh, as you grow up, you don't do a lot of critical analysis of your life, your circumstances, your family, you, you know, the things you're being taught, your beliefs, your parents hold. You just grow up. I, right. I looked for fun things to do. That was probably my primary motive was to have fun growing up. As, and I think most kids, that's the case. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Just life comes at you. It is what it is. Yeah. So you've you've left the small town. You're now in the big town. Mm -hmm. Kind of a little bit free to reign. Yeah. 
Yeah, and at the same time we moved, my I did not realize this then, but the seriousness of my dad was going through some real difficult responses to the fact that he had uh, adult-onset diabetes and was coping with that, perhaps um, some depression, which doing later studies of our family and stuff, genograms and things, we had a tendency of depression running through generations and out in different directions. But he was wrestling with those things. Mm. Generally, though, uh, I would have said my life was normal. But when I began to really examine it, and some with the help of my wife asking questions, uh, a lot that was not normal based on some of the things that had happened in my parents' life. I think they were both... uh, Experience, they experienced a lot of trauma and a lot of woundedness, which in that time, growing up for them, 30s, 40s, and then being adults and starting a family, there weren't places or ways to biblically, critically analyze some of the things they had experienced, deeply painful things. They sure. just kind of went on, did what most people do, uh, try and look good. Smile, be Nebraska nice, uh, be polite. Right. Uh, don't don't let people think badly of you. And that's well, hard when you're kind of a rebel. Like I g- g- did get in some trouble. Go ahead. Well, you know, that. I was just thinking about how often we have this view that what happens to us is normal. Right. And so we don't even wouldn't even classify it as a wound that right. or anything we need to address. We just like yeah that that was just everybody goes through this. Right. That's just life. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think I began to uh, critically examine my life, my background, my family of origin until I was perhaps in my early 30s, maybe late 20s. Um, But we were married both at 20, had three kids uh, by the time we were 25, 26, and came to know Christ on a personal level, though, at about 18 years old. And that was through an unusual uh, time and experience. Uh, I won't go into it in great depth and elaborate, but, you know, 70s uh, mantra was sex, drugs, rock and roll. And for my end of things, that sounded like a lot of fun, and it was. Right. And uh, I guess I just wanted to have a good time. And whether that was in sports or church or parties or social life, um, I was a fairly social being and enjoyed doing lots of those things. But probably increasingly more risky and more dangerous things. And out of all that... Why why do you suppose that was? um, I think now, in in looking back and examining, I can can give you some answers. Then I wouldn't have been able to say why. I think I was probably looking for... um, wisdom and direction and feeling very insecure because of 
a dad who did not have the ability to provide that or emotional stability in my life. He was dealing with his own stuff and um, either distant or angry a lot. I remember my dad being very angry at that point in in my life. And I, in fairness to him, I think uh, he didn't have a lot of help in his own right and why he was the way he is. But looking at your family and looking at my family, I've done a lot of work in, right. in some of that. And I just uh, wanted to be liked, wanted acceptance. So being fun, doing things a little bit crazy and risky and, and uh, out of control, people noticed that. So right. that was fun. So you got attention, you got a lot of, I, I presume, uh, accolades isn't probably the right word, but notoriety, you became somebody that people knew? Yeah, for a good time, for having fun. But that crossed the line with drugs and uh, alcohol to some degree. Um, you got to remember, though, that was a very exploratory protest time. Um, before I even got there, Nebraska lowered the drinking age to 19, so you could readily access bars and liquor stores sure. at 17, 18, or had a friend who was that age. Right. Pretty freewheeling party lifestyle, yeah, then. So that was fun. I mean, what do kids want to do? Get together to, you know, have a yeah, party. Yeah, have fun. So, and, yeah. So, yeah. so about 18, you say you, life, that was really where you started yeah. doing Counter Christ. What? What, how did that come about? Uh, good. I, I, out of the blue, I went to a college retreat. I wasn't in college with my cousin. And I saw some of the people there doing some things, even though I'd grown up in church, that I didn't see. And that was studying their Bible, having discussions over what the Bible said. And it's like, wow. Well, they're not just reading a customary verse on Sunday and then going on and passing over. They're actually digging into what this means and what this says, and I have no clue. I mm. couldn't have entered, entered into an intelligent biblical discussion, even though I had a lot of religious church background. Right. And that intrigued me. So I started to search, and my search took me to an individual that I did know who did have a lot of time with uh, Bible background. Uh, his name was Glenn. And Glenn became, to me, a go-to mentor uh, through my, from that time on. Led me probably into either himself or the biblical teachings of um, S. Lewis, some seminary professors and others that he had uh, teaching on the gospel. And uh, all the times I had ever considered the come to Jesus or the salvation invitation, I had always heard it as what I had to do. Hmm. Wasn't okay. necessarily presented like works, but it was always my assurance of salvation would be on what I looked at as my response. That is, did I make Jesus Lord of my life? Did I invite Jesus into my heart? Right. Did I turn my life over to Christ? Did I give myself? Did I make a decision? Those typical descriptions of conversion faith were confusing to me. I could, you know, 
I mean, especially cognitively until I was maybe 12, 13, inviting Jesus into my heart made absolutely no sense. What does that mean? Right, uh, right. And and if if I'm going to make him Lord of my life, how do I keep a boss happy that I don't yeah. see or hear? Yeah. Yeah. Some very confused attempts or understandings of how to have a relationship with God but never but but mind you I mentioned I was afraid of going to hell did I did I believe there was judgment uh yeah did I believe there was a god yeah did I believe that he had the power of determining who went where yeah but glenn simplified the message of salvation to such an easy, comprehensible way that when I looked at the scriptures of reference that he used and other teaching, it made perfect sense. Mm. Now, there was the combination, I believe, of the Holy Spirit working to show and reveal, but rather than pointing me to, well, did you make a real decision? Right. He pointed me to who Jesus was and who the cross, um, what he, what the cross represented and what it meant with verses on first Corinthians and the message of the cross. And I remember him at one point asking me this question, um, what would separate you from a holy God? And just simple logic was, well, sin, right? And he said, if God became a man and died for your sins, how many did he die for? And there's a pause and a moment of reflection. And then, well, all of them. And then another question, if sin was the only thing separating you from God, but he paid for all your sins, you just said all of them then what could ever separate you from this God if you believe in him and that? And I said, nothing. Right. And that was kind of like all in a nutshell, the gospel and eternal security and everything that provided assurance that I never saw. And well, maybe I believe, maybe I didn't, maybe I made a sincere decision. Maybe I didn't, maybe it was always a, re a reflective look at myself and my own response or my own faith or how well did I, you know, turn to Jesus rather than looking at what has God said, what has God done, and my assurance is found in that because I see that as the, the truth. So uh, in kind of reflection, it sounds like some of what you may be saying is um, you believed in God, you knew you needed to do right, or there was maybe hell to pay. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like maybe you were also out there on Friday, Saturday, maybe Thursday night, raising a little hell. Oh, yeah. I, and and did that weigh on you? Um, no, I, I'm surprised um, because prior to really coming to Christ, and that was uh, around 18, I met my wife. We began dating as seniors in high school and mm -hmm. had been together. And when I told her what I had learned and what I had believed, her first response was, oh, brother, what kind of wacko cult has he gotten into now? And yet uh, 
she agreed to come along and also go do some of the some Bible studies for young adults and things that were going on at time in the city and also talking with Glenn. And within a short while, she understood and had believed as well. And we really were turning our life around, really living for some different values. But we were only maybe late 17 or 18, 18, 19 years old. Still dating at this time. Still dating. We didn't get married until two years later. But our time involved in fellowship and study was really pretty short, six months, maybe nine months of real regular attendance and real regular participation. And then it just kind of slipped into a come to church two, Back three times in. a month and no real Bible study anymore. And But I had gained the foundation of truth of who God is through some excellent Bible teaching, by the way. Mm -hmm. The people we were initially exposed to were just phenomenal. Uh, so did you start to see a change in your in your life? I saw a change for good, and then I saw a drift back to the previous pattern. And by the time we got married at 20, I had probably slipped into as bad a behavior as I had been engaged in prior. I saw pr friends go to prison for drug dealing and other such things, and I could have, but by God's grace, was not uh, caught doing illegal stuff. Should have, until I was um, working at the railroad at Burlington. Then uh, we'd been married a couple years, bought a house, had a, had our youngest daughter. She was an infant, and I got arrested—not arrested, but busted by the. Railroad police, along with a half dozen other people, for uh, Rule G violation, alcohol. And to me at that time, it was, eh, go along, play the game. If you go to treatment, you get your job back. I had seen that happen, and so I just kind of stumbled along that direction. It's a funny thing, though. For me, alcohol was, uh, it was a drug, yeah, but my biggest drug of choice would have been weed. I had started, been exposed to to uh, smoking pot when I was, I didn't know, between 7th and 8th grade. So by then it had been a 10, 12-year habit of dealing and supporting it through dealing and some of those right. things. So, yeah, and in treatment, God woke me up. There was a point in time in... Um, Lincoln Independent Center, I was there for actually 45 days inpatient treatment in the early 80s and uh, smuggled weed in there, was getting high during treatment and got busted there and was going to be thrown out. And they said, you know, pack your bags, you're a threat to everybody's sobriety. And at some point, something, I went back to get my stuff. That was probably my first big coming to God, but without bargaining, mm -hmm. coming to him and telling him, I give up. I'm, I'm a mess. I've made a mess of my life, my marriage, my home, my job. I'm going to lose who knows what. I'm done. And to be able to do that and and not lay any bargaining chips on the table but just to say 
I'm done. God, do whatever. On my way out the door, I said, I need help. Is there any place you got? And they, I don't think it had ever been done, but they said, well, let me, let me talk for a minute. And they did. Uh, two men came back and said, we'll agree to let you stay in treatment. You'll be on probation, locked in your room, except for classes, group therapy, and all the treatment-related stuff. Um, but if you violate any rule, you're, you're out. Yeah. So this is a moment of... Come to Jesus and immediately having him step in and move in ways that I never could have. But in, in that moment, you were honest. Right. Truthful about to yourself yeah. and to God. There yeah. was no more... You know, I've oftentimes heard of uh, this word repentance in the mm -hmm. Christian community, and, and it, yeah. it seems to be the, uh, I've heard it sometimes referred to as changing your ways. Sometimes I've heard of it referred to as seeing things the way God sees them. Um, I tend to think of it as a, a lot of like just admitting admitting truth, typically for <clears throat> myself, it's admitting the truth to myself. Yeah. And then having that conversation with God saying, look, I, I, this is where I'm at. I'm not, no masks, no pretense. This is just where I'm at. Help me. Yeah. And he steps in. And it, and it sounds like very much that's exactly what you did. Yeah. For somehow, some reason then, I can see now and understand great uh, in greater detail. I had probably a fear of looking bad to people, insecurity, and other things driving me to do what I did. But when I, when I stood before God and just said, I'm done, I, I think through his spirit was just not afraid to be honest with anybody about anything. Shameful, embarrassing, failure, sin, I'm like, look, this is who I am. I'm not right. going to hide from people anymore. I think that was a little upsetting to my family, though, because, well, you're sharing things that make you look bad. Right. And that wasn't something we did in our family. We didn't acknowledge. We, oh, we'd give token acknowledgement to we're sinners we give token acknowledgement to we have bad habits or something but not naming the specifics by any means right and all of a sudden i'm just kind of laying out there ugly beating bleeding transparent sinful broken transparent i'm not pretending i want to tell you who i am i'm a i'm a sinner and here's how here's why here's what i've done and and so, my wife was gracious to stick with me. Go ahead, you're gonna say. Well, I was gonna say. So, um, it sounds like you, you'd created this habit of meeting your needs to be seen and to be valued and recognized. Of being kind of this party guy, you yeah. encounter Christ. You start to realize, hey, this is a real thing. But for whatever reason, you kind of start going back to the old, um, the ways of of really getting that acknowledgement, the recognition, um, and, and you've had, you've got habit. I mean, we yeah. all know how hard it is to break habits yeah. and you're in that. And it sounds like God kind of, he encountered you. He said, yep, you're mine. And then he kind of lets you figure it out a little bit. 
-hmm. until you realized it's not just a making you Lord of my life. It's a true, a true intimate transparency with yourself. And he lets you walk through that because he knew at this point things were going to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think immediately being able to have a place to go to hear truth then at that point upon saying, I'm done, take me. Uh, God so gently, you know, I had notions of God in his power and his sovereignty and his holiness and his justice and looking at my family and where that comes from, you know, parenting and my dad and some of those are notions of who God is are shaped by oftentimes our, our, our parents Father's probably the biggest influence in understanding God and transmitting our faith to God has to go through a lot of uh, roadblocks if the model of God in our fathers was not a clear model. And for me, the model was harsh, strong, you didn't mess with. So I got the power and the sovereign side of God. I didn't necessarily get the personal, the kind, the patience, the gentle, the tolerant. I saw that in my mom, Mm -hmm. almost to a fault of not necessarily wanting to uphold truth, but to just let things be. Mm -hmm. And my dad, I saw probably the opposite of, you didn't mess with my dad as a kid, as a kid. And I saw he was nice with people outside of our family, but um, my older siblings might have had a different experience than me. But for me, being a strong-willed nuisance, uh, I didn't have a comfortable relationship with my dad and it just got more fractured. So that time of moving to Lincoln as a 12, 13-year-old at a time when I probably could have used some guidance and direction from someone I trusted was a time I probably departed from my dad, not wanting necessarily to be around him unless he was going to give me something like gas money or right. a favor because I knew that he was also pretty ticked off with me most of the time. And I think... And, and as a rebel, as a stubborn kid, yeah, he probably had reason to be a lot. Well, of it, and if, and if he's got this own struggle, he's yeah. probably got things out of control in his life that he's trying to manage, mm-hmm. and then now you're making more things that he's got to manage. Um, that probably was adding to what he was going through, and and probably I would guess some of that harshness maybe wasn't even directed at you as much as it was just frustration in his life coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But I was the one probably creating the greatest amount of uh, home stress. Sure. It wasn't until my 30s or so later, my wife, uh, in me describing one account, said, I think you were abused. That I was like, really? And then I began to look at my growing up and seeing uh, the times I had been physically beaten with a two-by-four or punched in the face, closed fist, 
or called stupid or called big dummy or just my dad was irritated with me most of the time as a child and even mm -hmm. worse as I grew up, you know, beating, squirming sure. on the floor with a belt and other things, which went beyond corporal punishment and discipline to just venting anger. And right. I was, I was an obstinate target. And so the safety with God side of things was not there early on. I wasn't seeing God as a safe, right, a, a powerful God. Yeah. God you didn't want to mess with, yeah. Uh, God who could get angry and, boy, you were in trouble, yeah. But, yeah, and so so I, I think it sounds like you, like a lot of us, when you mentioned, alluded the, to this a little bit earlier, we tend to have a picture of God that reflects our relationship with our dad. In some ways, many times, yeah, the yeah. faith transmission side of that. In fact, we're doing a study right now. It's talking about some of the fatherhood stuff, this being Father's Day coming up, but... Yeah, and that's uh, that's oftentimes yeah. not accurate. Yeah, but we think it is. Yeah, we uh, come to God each in our own way with our own story, and God is able. I firmly believe in the restorative, redemptive work of God in in lives that the last thing you would think of them that individual ever coming to know Jesus, right? And that happening just I think because God. I think delights in the unpredictable and sometimes delights in demonstrating that he's not who we think he is, that yeah. he's uh, wholly good and wholly powerful and capable, but just not like our human fathers or our human relationships. God's different in that way, but right. he's personal, very, very personal. Well, and I, I, I jotted down a couple of things as I was starting to gather the character of God and how he's showing up in your life. And you've mentioned mm -hmm. patient and gentle and kind, um, mm -hmm. reconciliatory. Um, and I think one of them is attentive. Um, you didn't necessarily say yeah. that, but I think that moment where, where moments after you say, okay, God, I give up. This is where I'm at. I need help. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. then say those same words to, to another person on the way out the door. And they're, they're like, their hearts changed. Yeah. That's um, in, yeah, interesting. And, and I think that that shows a God that's very attentive. He's on the ball. Mm -hmm. um, he's not half watching, half attentive. He's right there on the spot. Yeah. Um, what uh, you, you talked a little bit about at this point where you're starting to be transparent, making your family uncomfortable. Uh, your life seems to take a different change there. Um, let, let's go back to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, there a number of things going on then. Um, one of the powerful undergirding strengthening things was being able to early on get some very solid, in-depth biblical teaching on the sovereignty of God, uh, the character of God, his names, and just studying and looking at and seeing, oh, this is a God that's got everything under his control, everything, including my salvation, including my life, and everything else. Uh, that's a very securing and stabilizing place to be, to really fully just simply see and believe the truth about God's character, about his strength. And all of that in spite of your rebellion. Yeah, that he 
that he had given me, I think Ginger and I today even look back and go, man, we had some amazing Bible teachers God brought into our lives. Uh, seminary, Dallas Seminary and others um, at 20, in our 20s. Mm -hmm. That stabilized our views on what is true, what is right, what's, you know, how to, how to raise kids, how to do a lot of things. But I would say um, it's been the difficulties, the challenges, and the struggles that God has used to push me to surrender again and again uh, that have grown me the most. And I have been blessed with a wife who has the gift of faith. I mean, some people, we all have faith in if we trust Christ. She has a simple faith that just, and, and, and her relationship with her father is interesting to look at just a beautiful relationship with a father who was completely safe, mm. completely kind, and completely uh, just loved her as a daughter. To transition from her earthly father, who was good to her and could be trusted, to faith in a heavenly father—that's that's how she just quickly adopted, and ever since, uh, models to me how to just trust God in those hard times. And you know, we've been married now um, twenty-four year, or forty-four years, and uh, she's been the one that I've looked to again and again as the person who trusted. God, without reservation, with simplicity, just very simple. Well, yeah, God has said he's that. Why would I not trust him? Right. For me, it's sometimes been more of a, I know what's right, but I have a fear that, well, if I really do that, then I won't get what I want, or things won't be the way I want, or things, and I'm fearful in that regard, and... That prevents me from trusting him. But that every time I do, he's just been proving himself again and again and again and again to be interested, gentle, faithful, cares about even the just the minutest details of our lives, wants us to walk with him in a way that it's not just the big things. It's like everything, mm -hmm. everything you, of life day to day. Can you share uh, about a time where where you really struggled trusting? Oh, sure. But in the end, you kind of you did trust, um, maybe maybe fully, maybe a little bit, where God proved that He was trustworthy. Yeah, could be a great question. Um, I got a couple, probably two. One primarily, and she shared her story openly. My oldest, our oldest daughter Paula, um, was a prodigal as well. Walked away from things. Trusting God when she was 17 or 18 that, you know, if my prayer, God do what's best for her, was also, man, that could mean bad things, bad consequences. I don't want her to go to prison or get AIDS or, you know, any number of bad things that could happen. And then realizing I can't control any of that anyway. And really realizing I don't have any other option to change her heart than God. Right. 
and being able to just say, okay, Lord, do whatever it takes. I trust whatever that will be. My fear is that it would be a hard and painful thing for us to see because we love her so much and don't want her to be harmed, but to let her go and into God's providence. And there was a journey there of several years, but that was one. Just truly, I can remember, you know, sitting on the back porch, just saying, okay, God, do whatever. Just like in, tre- in treatment, I said, do whatever there. It was like, do whatever you need to do here. Right. I'll trust you. Well, how hard was that? Oh, it was uh, in time, a wrestling of, I would say, six, nine, 12 months. Hmm. But again, it was the same, okay, we're not hiding anything now. Uh, we're in a Christian community. We're doing very um, kids at a Christian school, and we're not going to hide this. People ask how you doing. We'd say not so well. We're hurting right now. We're struggling. Right. Not oh, we're doing fine. We're doing okay. But it was here's what. Please pray for us. And I think that people appreciate honesty when you're vulnerable and just not hiding and not pretending. Uh, not acting like, oh, we're the terrible parents here. We're, our shame is going to just make us hide. We're going to just be open about it. what's right. going on. And God used that in many ways to help other parents. And we, you know, out of that, parents so of I, prodigal groups and things. That's one. I'll tell you another one, but go ahead. Well, and, go ahead. and I think if, as we look at a lot of parents, our identity oftentimes is wrapped up in our kids and our kids' performance. Absolutely. Especially um, Christian parents, and yeah. and yet mm-hmm. that's not where our identity shouldn't shouldn't come from. There, it should come from who yeah. God says we are, um, and who's and that we're His. Absolutely, um, but then yeah. that our kids are His as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very mm-hmm. hard uh, to know that in the same way I had to make my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is the majority of my mistakes have led me to a deeper understanding of who God is. That's, that's a profound discovery that it's, yeah, it's in our mistakes and failures that God is willing to teach us some things about himself and about us that we right. need to know that we wouldn't otherwise. A guy once told me, you know, as he looked at his Bible for 30 years and he had done most things in life, right? Um, but he said, I realized I never grew much unless I was outside my comfort zone, which mm. is interesting because we spend most of our time striving to get into our comfort zone. So yeah. only those times out of that that I'm really having to hang on to God, trust him and find him. I would say the other greatest lately, maybe uh, three years ago, was my wife being diagnosed with a um, a tumor, ovarian tumor, and mm. for me to the, think of the thought of losing the one I love more than anyone in right. this planet here, huge fear, you know, um, and realizing uh, I can't handle the thought of the pain or the fear of losing this sweet, precious woman I've known. And wrestling with that for a few weeks, and I've shared this with others, the moment of just anguish and pain and fear and confusion, not knowing what lied ahead for us, 
of driving into Menards to get something on an errand and just wrestling with God and saying, "What, God, what are you, what are you trying to tell me? I, 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 I don't know. And one of those cl- clear moments, and I don't, I haven't had many of these, but I heard a voice in that moment, two words, trust me. Mm. And it just rattled me. Uh, I pulled in the parking stall and shut my keys off and put my head down. I said, really? That's it? Trust me? And, and, and in that moment, I said, okay, what else can I do? Right. Kind of like my treatment experience, my experience with our daughter Paula, and there have been others like that. Uh, yeah. It's like coming back to the realization that I can't do anything else in those times but trust God or not trust him. Right. But he's, in my life, proven himself faithful again and again and again and again when I have. And, you know, not every story turns out great, but this one did with my wife and successful uh, surgery later. But that was months of before that could happen. You know, when you have a tumor or cancer or thing, you want that dealt with immediately instead of being told it'll be a few months. But in the interim time, not knowing the outcome or the future ahead for us or her, which could be grim, uh, we're left still just to trust God. But I tell you, in those moments, there was peace that I didn't have up to that point of God just telling me to trust him. And being able to do that is, again, a surrender thing of faith. Of Those are the big things, and they do teach yeah. you profound experiences of truth about who God is. But it's still just in the day-to-day little things, seemingly unimportant things, you know. People mock the insincerity of, oh, you're praying for a parking place or to find your keys or your lost phone or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. If he's with me and I'm struggling, why wouldn't I ask my friend, my God, help me? I got to get this. I got to do that. I got to, I'm trying to remember this important article or paper. What was it? And right. boom, God, he, if we, he's there. Right. And he answers even little prayers. Like with my son, you know, his, his younger man working on his car all the time, we'd, Lose a part, or you always get to, you know, if there's seven or eight bolts, it's always the one that's stuck, you know. Right. Or you drop a tool down in the engine. We'd just stop and, you know, be frustrated and then go, all right, Freeman, go ahead and pray, or I pray, and then boom, you know. The little things, I think, there even, that God's with you constantly, if you just acknowledge him that you need his help, that he cares and wants to help you. As you know, people would mock or ridicule that as well. God's not your butler, or God's not your divine butler, or whatever. And it's like, if that's how you see Him, that you're, you're, you're you have a low view of God, that He can be taken advantage of, right? And that He doesn't really want to help you. You have to twist His arm somehow. And it's like, no, He's a good Father that wants to help His kids in everything, and He's anxious to show us that He's there. To help us. And that's, I think, part of the little things 
the he's big a, things are you know yeah. part of your faith walk, but the little things are the day to day things. He's a little bit of a doting dad. Yeah, he likes he to dote. Yes, I, I mean, I, I see that. Gotta, with, you've got to be open and engaging in that relationship, right? Because he wants to be in the relationship. Right. But it's grace. I mean, that's the only hope we have, and and God's grace is our identity in Christ. I think they're the same thing in in many respects. I have my identity in in Christ because of grace, and because of grace, I can see who I truly am as a son, a chosen one, loved it forever, secure in Him forever. And but do I you, do oh. you find that your depth of understanding grace? Um, by going through more trials, more times where he says, trust me, mm-hmm. and then he shows mm-hmm. himself to be mm-hmm. trustworthy and faithful. Um, and then times when you just like open up the little things and he, and he dotes, he seems to yeah. dote and say, here, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to give you the, yeah. I'm going to give you this nice little thing. Yeah. Um, that socket's going to magically fall right out into the oil pan. Mm-hmm. Um, no. And uh, do you find that those times help you get to know him better, but also allow you then to, provide that same um that same character to those around you that God chose you? Yeah. Uh good. No, I I'd say both. I'd say it's the little things that just are reminders as he hears the small insignificant seemingly insignificant. I don't think they are insignificant, but they don't rise to the level of huge uh pressing issues, but as as you walk with God and you're conscious and aware of him and you're talking to him through the stuff of life, he's just there. That's growing you. But I also think the other things that he uses, okay, I brought you to this point. I'm going to shape you now here and you're just going to have to hang on. It might be a wild ride for a while, but you're going to have to just trust me through it. Even if you don't have the answers, that's what the scripture shows. But in the end, both of those, and I think the purpose is then so that he can use us for the benefit of others. It's not just about us, me or my right. issues. It's, yeah, he loves me and he's taking care of things, but there's a much, much bigger plan that includes a lot of different parts and pieces, humans and others, from family to church friends and someone like you, I think. Um, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that I've learned, and, and it sounds like the, it's some of the lesson that you had learned years ahead of me, was that our kids, we, we've got to turn them over to God, mm-hmm. but that he's already got them. He has already said, yes, I, they're mine. I'm going to do the work. Mm-hmm. But as a parent, we hate to see them hurt. We hate to see them make mistakes mm-hmm. because we know how much they hurt, those mm-hmm. mistakes and how, mm-hmm. how painful and embarrassing. and mm-hmm. And yet... We have to let them do that. Yeah. We have to let them go through that because in the same way, it's through that I get to know God better. If I want my kids to have a deep, meaningful relationship with Christ, yeah, it means they have to experience all those things as well. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's hard as a parent to allow our kids. Oh, because our emotions are so involved in terms of our own fears, but our own love our hurts, our our feelings. But truth is the thing that guides you in that. I think, again, again and again, 
Wisdom is life with the ability to take truth, and not just one truth, but all of God's truth, to just instinctively put it into the situations and circumstances of our lives, including parenting. So if I have the truth about my role as a parent, it's to train and raise discipline at times, but love and teach and show grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, a child should grow up seeing grace. If they're going to see God's grace, they should see grace again and again and again. But it's not to hang on to them, to present them as uh, a testimony to my, I'm such a great parent. Right. Basically, it's to shoot them out into the world, to launch them, to prepare them for being able to go out on their own. And when they don't, when they stumble and they trip out of the gate and when they make mistakes or choose to go a different direction, I'm either going to take that on myself and and my insecurity or my identity is damaged or people won't think I did a good job as as a Christian, as a father, as a pastor or whatever, or... I can know the truth that uh, I'm not perfect. I probably made lots of mistakes, but if I've at least maintained integrity in my faith and demonstrated that, uh, my kids are making their own decisions. And wisdom of taking the truth of Scripture is that I'm supposed to launch them. That's the role of parenting. And at a point when you launch them, you don't run out and grab that arrow in the middle air and try and change its flight pattern you it's going right and seeing ourselves now um i'm the harbor not the coast guard as a parent our home is a harbor if kids want to stop by Mm. and our family's close and we love each other but i don't go out on the high seas like the the coast guard and rescue at times i'm available if they want to god pursues us God does. He's the Coast Guard. I mean, he right. goes off. And and he's far better at it than I am. Does a, does a much better job, usually, most of the time. But wisdom, again, allows you to have peace in, in, in perspective of some of those things about life, taking the truths you know about parenting as, as, when your kids are 5 or 15 or 25 or 35 to be able to be at peace and live life comfortably with what the truth would say is your responsibility as as a human being, as a father, as a parent. Right. But there's, God's teaching us a lot in relationships, people relationships. Well, and, and I think of the verse, and, and I don't have it in front of me, and, and I'm not great at word for word, but the idea is the least that, that apart from faith, we can't please God. Oh, yeah, from Hebrews. And um, And it's... I think he gives us times of testing our faith mm-hmm. and it's when we choose to have faith, that's pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, at some point in time, he's like, you know what? I'm going to let your strength grow, your, the, the strength of your faith grow. And we're both going to be happy in that process. Right. I don't think there is true obedience apart from faith. Mm-hmm. Um, now God's set up the world with laws Moral laws, physical laws, those are all because he's the creator. Right. And if I do follow some of those laws, even though I don't necessarily believe the reason for doing it, I may experience temporal blessing. In other words, 
it's wrong to rob people. And if I choose to not rob people, I'm going to experience blessing. If I don't, it goes the other direction. But I think that, I think that if we believe the right things, that's abiding, that's trusting and Mm -hmm. the, and the fruit or the obedience flows. I don't have to manual white knuckle it or, or force this obedience. It just happens when I've believed the spirit produces that out of life in Jesus. I right. think. It's not forced. It's a natural outcome of faith, of belief, of trust. And and not trying to fight what is true. Right. And, and um, you know, sometimes it's a, th- there is a faith in that uh, I'm believing things that I can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. there's also a point where if you just, when you know gravity exists, mm-hmm. you can walk in gravity mm-hmm. and, and you can know that if I set this down on the table, I can come back in an hour or a day and it's going to still be there because of gravity. Yeah. And I can, I can understand and I can walk in that and it, and it can make my life better. So understanding the truth of God is the same way. If I walk in the truth of recognizing who yeah. he is. Yeah. And the and how he's created us and, and our and our world and our universe, um man, life can get in in aspects of our life, it can get pretty straightforward and simple mm-hmm. and pretty easy because we walk mm-hmm. in that. Doesn't mean that that life is always gonna be great or grand or any of that, but it is allowing us there's almost that faith and is a recognition of truth. Um I sometimes think of the word of reverence, uh, you know, revering God. It's just kind of a, a recognizing who he is, yeah, and and acting mm-hmm. accordingly. Yeah, you know he is all powerful. Recognize that he's got the power, yeah. but he also would love to have us as children run up into his and sit on his lap, and mm-hmm. and he just would love to tell us stories and jokes. Yeah, um, and it's both at the same time. How do we as parents then help our kids recognize that that's who God is? and learn to run to him, maybe instead of running to us? Well, I think there's two things, maybe six, I don't know. But I think there is the principle of authority that God has delegated, that I think we have a responsibility to teach or to train our kids when they're younger, that authority is from God. Right. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, and that's where we need to be humble and admit our mistakes, but... I think part of our cultural problems today are a number of people growing up with no faith, no trust, no belief in or respect for authority, whether that's in the schools, in the government, in business, employers, and parents, or in the home, or in the church. But all over, any organization, social organization that's going to flourish has to have authority that's followed. If not, right. you have anarchy or chaos. And so kids grow up, though, right? And I think seeing us as parents, as human beings, maybe with an authority while they're younger, but in equal standing before God with them, that we're both broken, we're both sinners, um, we both need the same God and stand the same before the cross gives us, I think, a credibility that they can 
respond to, but that's humility, not mm-hmm. it's not my job necessarily to prove that I'm right out of my own insecurity. It's my job to present here's what I think is true, you know, and I and it's and then leaving that choice to them. And sometimes they don't make the right choice. Right. But guess what? Neither do I sometimes. Right. Um, and if they can see that genuine yeah. a connectedness with God in, in our walk with him, yeah. then then that gives our kids some fodder yeah. to potentially apply wisdom. I mean, I think if a, if a daughter or a son can look at a parent or a father and see their own humility or willingness to acknowledge their own sin, their own mistakes. And that can get kind of dicey talking to your kids about things you've done. Right. Uh, At least for me it is. But at the same time, I think it can communicate, you're just like me. You're not this authority over here that wants to belittle me or make me feel insecure. And, And you talk to a lot of adults um, who are around their adult, their parents, it's like, geez, I'm a grown, accomplished individual, but when I'm with my dad or with my mom, they treat me like I'm a 12-year-old knucklehead. Right. Um, that's a, probably a parent that didn't have the humility to acknowledge their own wrong or weakness and is still trying to control a child, an adult child, to protect their own image or their own whatever it is, I don't know, security. Well, and to to bring this back to the very the very beginning, you didn't truly encounter God until you became humble, mm-hmm. until you became transparent and truthful, yeah, with and recognized that with God, with God. Mm-hmm. And now, if we want our kids to have that same relationship, we have to do with our kids. Mm-hmm. what we did with God and model that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it's different at each stage of parenting. I think for me to try and tell parents with little kids that, well, just wait, it's going to be a lot harder when they're older. Um, that can be kind of arrogant. But to tell parents of teenagers, well, wait till they're adults, it's going to be a lot different and a lot harder. That can be arrogant. Mm-hmm. But... There's the patience of God that he takes you through the seasons and you learn different things at each season along the way. And it's not just through kids. It's relationships right. with others. Um, if we're open, if we're humble, if we're teachable, God delights in that kind of approach to him. That goes back right. to without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay. I'm just trusting him. Well, so uh, as we're coming up to uh, probably about the end of where we need to wrap this up, mm-hmm. um, there's one little thing I, that I kind of want to piece together, and, I, and I'd love to hear your insight. Um, you've talked a lot about your wife and how wonderful uh, she's been through this process and instrumental in that. Um, talking about um, transparency, mm-hmm. will you talk a little bit, share a little bit about um, transparency between the two of you and how that has affected and and what type of a relationship that's created between the two of you. Um, that's both a, a, a good and um, deep question. Uh, not initial, not on the surface, easy to just immediately answer, but transparency between us and our own relationship would be, I think, 
rooted in working really, 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 really hard to demonstrate love towards each other, submission towards each other, to create the safety that uh, is required to be honest with each other. And that's a work in progress. That takes time between two people. And, you know, I, I have grown in my appreciation for my wife's willingness to be honest with me when I needed it and to know she's not saying that or doing that because she doesn't like me. She might be irritated because I'm being a jerk, but um, she's saying it for my well-being and for my good. Mm -hmm. Even down to the simple things, it's like we kid each other because we'll put something on and ask the other person, how does this look? And if uh, the other person says, that looks stupid, we're irritated because they told us the truth of their own opinion. And yet that's in a small example of what we need to hear. How does this look? What is this? If they're telling us the truth, I shouldn't be upset with that. I want that. And that's transparency of, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to BS you. I'm not going to try and blow smoke at you. I'm going to just say, this is what's right. This is what I believe is right. And in our relationship, maybe in 40, almost 45 years of marriage, I've maybe only had to say that to her on a serious, critical, we don't see eye to eye type of issue mm, four or five times, maybe. I'm talking about, we disagree about, she's different. I'm different. We don't, we're not going to see things the same. And that's what becoming one is about combining the broader perspectives that she brings or that I bring in different ways to our life situation together and trusting each other to be transparent and honest. Um, and what, what, and safe, all safe, yeah. safe. And so that creates a, uh, it to the listener who doesn't necessarily know if they can or should be transparent with mm-hmm. their spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say, yes, it's absolutely worth it to to develop that relationship where you can be honest and transparent and safe? I think, good question there. I think you have to examine each relationship on a case-by-case basis to know uh, it's really past behavior or even present behavior that determines wisdom in how to relate to people. If a person has a track record of being unsafe, or hurtful or harmful or unwilling, rebelling or stubborn to things that they're being told, it may not be safe to tell them to to open up and be transparent and say certain things to them. If It depends on their willingness to hear that. I think you need to have other people to help you in that process, not on your own, but to, to, I mean, again, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors getting honest, safe help to evaluate each relationship, each, say, marriage relationship, mm-hmm. case by case, and say, yeah, and, you know, is there risk? Yeah, just like there was risk for Nathan the prophet to confront David, there was risk. Right. Telling right. him the truth 
could have been a dangerous thing. But sometimes that's where we trust God in that process too. And so, yeah, I would say in some marriages, in some relationships, you have to risk and you have to trust God to protect you, to be honest with a spouse if there's something that you feel needs to be brought out into the light and be transparent about rather than just pretending and hiding and keeping it covered. And have you found that, that because you've both been open and mm-hmm. willing and both been a safe place for each other, mm-hmm. have you found that that's been rewarding? Oh, yeah. It's like the safest place on earth ought to be with your lifetime partner. Um, yeah, rewarding huge because that's part of becoming one i think the 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 intimacy in relationship goes all across the board of god's design and god's plan to become one mm-hmm. you know we're thinking and maybe men more even you know sexual intimacy obviously is a, is, a, is an aspect of that but the deeper intimacy is the whole of the relationship as a person not you know that's all parts of the relationship becoming one in purpose and belief. Yeah. And it's very, yeah. And, and it's through that personal relationship we have with Christ mm-hmm. and that openness and transparency yeah. that we're then able to create that safety and have intimacy with another human being yeah. that creates a, a true joy Mm-hmm. Um, even in the midst of terrible trials, you still know you got somebody who's got your back yeah. and you're able to lift each other up. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, it just comes down to, as you look around and you look at yourself, people need Jesus. I mean, just it's just hard to do life without Jesus. And, you know, learning to walk with him and to trust him and to listen to him and also to be okay when he's not directly showing you what you want to know or the answering the why questions, because sometimes he doesn't. Right. When you look at the book of Job, but at the same time, you just need Jesus. I don't, yeah. You know, you can't really make it and make sense of, of this world without him. Well, and I think the two, the two verses that, uh, that kind of merge for me at this point are um, every good and perfect gift comes from God, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. There's no other source. From Jane, um, coming down from the Father of Light, and and that when we think about things that we want in our life, we want love and joy and peace and things and, we were created to, yeah, for. and and yet those are the fruit of being as Jesus talked about in the vine, mm-hmm. you know, being a a plant that's grafted into another plant, and that we get the nourish the the plant that's grafted gets the sap, the nourishing mm-hmm. sap from that other plant, and that's where the fruit comes from. And if we want that fruit, yeah. we got to get plugged in. Yeah. we got to get in the fine um, and go, go back to a few guests back um, about having Christ in us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd encourage any listener right now, if you don't know what that's like or you're not experiencing that, mm-hmm. at least at some point in your life, maybe you're going through struggles or trials or um, maybe God's testing your faith. Do you trust him right now? And he's letting you walk through a dark valley, um, plug in, and uh, and I encourage you to do that. If you don't know how, 
find a good resource, like you talked about, was it Glenn? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That really helped you guys do that. Yeah, yeah, relationship. And that's a tricky thing. We're made and created for relationship, but it is also the place where we experience some of our deepest hurts and wounds. So while we need this, we also have emotions and, and we're sinners. We've been hurt by other sinners. So this longing, like you mentioned, all those needs that we all have, mm-hmm. uh, God says he's willing to meet those for us, but it comes with the decision to trust him in those relationships that may not have felt safe to trust with before. But, right. So it's looking for who's a safe person. Who's it? Right. And and where is a good place for, yeah. you know, plugging in and getting yourself in the vine and... Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, if the listener doesn't know what any of that is, and am I, am I speaking in weird word mm-hmm. pictures, mm-hmm. Um, find a good, a good church or somebody who can explain that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then, and then just, if nothing else, just ask God, yeah. um, just in the moment say, Hey, um, God, I, I think you're up there. These guys seem to seem to have a real relationship with you. And, and I want to see what that's all about. Yeah. Would you enter that relationship with me and, and, and somehow show me how to find you. Yeah, good, good. There, there are certain prayers like that that God always hears. If yep. you're asking God to show and reveal himself, of course he will. Yeah, because yeah. he's attentive. Yeah. He's kind, he's gentle. Yeah. Yep. Well, good. thank you, Kurt. This has been the Who is God podcast. Thanks, mm-hmm. Kurt, for being my guest. Sure. Again, I am Thaddeus Funk, and this is my journey learning a lot more about the character of God and who is God. Good stuff. You've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by Tacklebox Studios. Tacklebox Studios is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from individuals like you. If you found this meaningful, please let us know. Donations can be mailed to Tackle Box Studios, 285 South 68th Street Place, Suite 320, Lincoln, Nebraska, 68510.